Hey everyone, this is Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. It might be your new favorite if you've just joined us recently. We've had a little bit of a spike in new friends this week. It's been really exciting for us. Welcome. <laughs> I am starstruck to be in your presence, Christian, the famed voice of the blobfish. <laughs> Where <laughs> I famously compared the infamous picture to SpongeBob SquarePants character Squidward, <laughs> apparently. That's not your claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, some of you might be coming to us from our quote in Newsweek, <laughs> from our Blobfish episode, in which Christian reviewed the Blobfish and explained why it looks like that. If you want more information on that, go listen to that episode because it was a lot of fun. Yeah, go listen to episode, insert episode number here. <laughs> I think it was 16, something like that. <laughs> That was an old episode, but it just now got some traction because we were in Newsweek about it, which was really exciting mm. for us. <laughs> we did not expect it, but it was really fun. <laughs> so very humbled to be in your presence, Christian Weatherford. As I and yours, Ellen Weatherford. <laughs> we are not zoological experts, Christian and I, but we do a lot of research and make sure that we're giving you really good information on our animals. Try real hard. We do. I think we succeed. I think we do yeah. pretty good. But if we mess it up, we're sure to correct it. Yeah. We're nice, chill folks. So feel free to drop us a line if you have anything to add to this episode or any episode. For sure. We just like to talk to people. We're really friendly. <laughs> and lonely. <laughs> the quarantine life. It's 2020. <laughs> I think I'm first this week. Okay. That was going to be my question. <laughs> so, Ellen, what animal do you bring us this week? This week, I had the social media poll. Okay. So this one was put to a vote on Facebook and Twitter. So if you want to take part in the voting process for the animal that one of us talks about each week, you can hit us up on social media. And this week, the winner of our poll was the Wolverine. Ooh. Scientific name, Gulo Gulo. Interesting. Mm -hmm. This is a wonderful animal. I'm really excited to talk about it. Settle in because... I've got a lot to say okay. <laughs> about this one. First of all, before being put into that poll, this was submitted by Andy Ursaki and also Dalton Weeks and the Jungle Gym Queen. So thank you all for requesting the Wolverine. Thank you. And I'm getting my information from the Wolverine Foundation, which has so much information. It's hmm. so good. Check out their website. It's really good. And also Animal Diversity Web, which we love very much. And we're always <laughs> all up on there. So the Wolverine, if you don't know them very well, they don't, we don't have them where we live. So this was all pretty new to me because we don't know Wolverines very well. I'm just now realizing I probably couldn't even say what continent they're from. Well, they do live on our continent. Oh, okay. But before we get into that, they're about a meter long, which is a little over three feet. And that's mm -hmm. not including their tail. Oh. Their tail is not like super long, but it adds a little bit to it. That's like a decent size. They are about 30 kilograms or 66 pounds. That's kind of like a maximum. They're like up to that mm -hmm. much. Um, they're not very tall, but they're very dense for their size. So they're squat. They're low to the ground. They got like short little legs, <laughs> but they're but they're pretty long. Mm -hmm. And they're very dense. So like they weigh a lot <laughs> for their size. These okay. are kind of stocky dudes. 
And like I said, they're found in North America, but in the way far up north area. So you're going to find them in Canada, kind of a little bit in some of the very, very northern United States. Okay. You'll find them in Alaska. But um, other than like Alaska and Canada, you'll find them like a little bit in the rest of the U.S., but not that much. And maybe only at certain times of year, I imagine. Actually, the the season doesn't affect their activity oh, level. Okay. Yeah, they're just they're living their life. Cool. <laughs> but so they're actually found all along the boreal areas of the entire northern hemisphere. So mm-hmm. you'll find them in North America, but you'll also find them in Scandinavia and Russia. Wow. Yeah, they're a little bit different. So they're considered like different subspecies, like the ones that live in Eurasia and the ones that live in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will kind of find them spread out all throughout that whole area. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they, they're kind of they're getting around a little bit. Um, they mostly do like to live in these areas without a lot of regular human activity because they need really wide expanses of undisturbed territory. I'll explain why that is in a little while. And then within those areas, they can live in kind of a wide range of habitat types. So this can range from alpine forests to like wide flat tundras or cold frozen like swampy areas almost. Interesting. Yeah. So the like the terrain type doesn't matter as much, just that it's super far north. <laughs> okay. For the taxonomic family, I'm going to let you guess first. What do you think a wolverine is most closely related to? Like what type of animal do you think it is? I would guess maybe badger or skunk. Badgers is close because badgers are in their family. Skunks okay. are not. Okay. Skunks are close. They're within sort of a similar... Yeah, I figured that general area, but I wasn't sure. Like, <laughs> Sure, group. I see that. So they're mustelids. Okay. So their closest relatives are Teras, Martins, and Fishers. Okay. Long boys. Yeah. <laughs> but then this family of mustelids also, it's known as like the weasel family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also includes badgers, ferrets, and otters. Ah. So all of those are mustelids. Okay. A lot of mustelids being small and fluffy might be assumed to be related to rodents. You, especially when you look at like ferrets and weasels, mm-hmm. it might be a natural assumption to make that they would be rodents because they're little and fluffy, but they actually belong to the order Carnivora in the suborder Caniformia, which also contains dogs, bears, and seals. Which makes sense if you've ever seen like a ferret's teeth, right? Yeah. So when you, you can really see this when you look at their jaw sort of mm-hmm. structure, like it definitely... You can see the similarity to dogs there. So you can really tell that they're very different from rodents because rodents have those front teeth that are continually growing, mm. kind of like buck teeth <laughs> that sure. just keep growing through. These are not like that. They have teeth that look a little bit more like your pet dogs. If you have a pet dog, you can just take a look at their sort of whole skull structure. And eh, that's a little bit more similar sure. to what a mustelid skull looks like. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of about what a wolverine is. They're short and stubby and long and look a little bit like a, they, they're like a, a buffed up weasel. Okay. A weasel that is extremely <laughs> uh, built. <laughs> so this brings me to our first rating for this episode, which if this is your first time joining us, we do rate animals out of 10 out of different categories. And the first category is effectiveness, which is physical adaptations that let the animal do real good at the things it's doing. I'm giving the Wolverine a 10 out of 10. Wow. This is my bodybuilding son. (laughs) This, (laughs) This Wolverine is so built. He's so good. 
They're excellent, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so first of all, their scientific name, Gulo Gulo. Gulo is from the Latin word that means glutton. Oh. <laughs> yes, and it suits them very well. So, like I said, they're from this order carnivora, so most of what they eat is meat, but they're mm. pretty opportunistic, so like they're not super picky. They'll kind of like take what they can get. They, they will eat like vegetation if it's available, but most of what they're eating is meat. Um, so living in such cold environments, a lot of times that meat that they're eating is from carcasses. They do scavenge a lot. Mm -hmm. They hunt also, but kind of like most of what they eat is carcasses that were already dead when they got there. Okay. And a lot of times since they're in these snowy areas, those carcasses have frozen solid. So yeah. the meat is rock hard. Mm -hmm. Like how are you going to eat this? It's not, <laughs> you can't just, you know, shred through it like you would with fresh meat. So luckily they are powerful enough to chomp through not just frozen meat, but bone. So yeah. they can eat right through bone, get at that marrow that's inside, which is great because marrow is super nutritious. It's really good for you if you can get it. And they just happen to be strong enough to crunch all the way through and get at that marrow. So it's really cool. Yum. So what's interesting is that that's not due to the force of their bite. There was a study that showed that for their body size, their bite force is actually right around average hmm. for their size. This study, by the way, was called Bite Forces and Evolutionary Adaptations to Feeding Ecology in Carnivores by Per Christensen and Stephen Rowe. So the way that they're able to crunch through such a really, really, such really tough substances is by they have these this really specialized tooth formation okay so they have those sharp teeth like sharp pointy you know just like a dog's teeth right they're all they're all sharp and pointy but they're hindmost top molars mm -hmm. so this is when you're looking at their top jaw the molars that are the ones all the way in the very back they're not in a straight line with the rest of the teeth instead these top molars are rotated 90 degrees inward forming a right angle with the preceding teeth. Okay. So when you're looking down at the tooth alignment from the mm -hmm. top, it makes kind of an arrowhead shape. Weird. Yeah. So this adaptation is actually not specific to wolverines. This is an identifying characteristic of mustelids. Oh. So fishers, ferrets, weasels, all of them, they have teeth like this too. Huh. Yeah. So it's an interesting little thing that lets them give a little bit of extra oomph in their chomp. It's pretty cool. So I'll tell you what's really, really funny about this is that while I was researching the dentition of wolverines, which means like the way that their teeth are, I had to specifically exclude the word adamantium from my search results. <laughs> <laughs> like everywhere I was doing a search, I had to do like minus adamantium. <laughs> I was wondering at what point this was going to come up. Yeah, it's now. Because <laughs> um, like every time I did a search, every single result was these discussion threads on Marvel forums yes. <laughs> that are like, they all said things like, why doesn't Wolverine have adamantium teeth? Or can Wolverine get cavities? Or does Wolverine <laughs> go to the dentist? Like, I could not find any information on the actual animal's teeth because everyone was so busy talking about the superhero Wolverine and what his teeth are all about. <laughs> I have many opinions on this. But... You do? Can you give me some, please? <laughs> It wouldn't make sense for Wolverine, the X-Man, to go to the dentist. <laughs> the X-Man? Is that what they call them? The X-Men. 
Yeah. Well, I know that the collectively they're known as X Men, but do they call each individual one like an X Man? I don't think so. But I'm not <laughs> huge into the fan base. But anyway, <laughs> so Wolverine's whole thing is a crazy healing factor, right? Right. So if he has, so one either the tooth will heal itself, or he could just pop it out and grow a new tooth. Is how I would think it would go down. I guess like the idea was that his bones are supposed to be made of adamantium. They, no, so what what it was his his power is healing. Later, uh, some scientist dudes added the adamantium on the outside of his skeleton. Oh, okay. So it's conceivable that they purposely didn't do that to his teeth because that'd be weird, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah, so that made it really, really, really annoying to yeah. have to try to look up actual Wolverine teeth. Also, the claws, that's another part of his thing. <laughs> Luckily, I... I didn't have to specifically research the claws <laughs> too much, because I feel like if I did, that would have just been impossible. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I've never seen an X-Men movie. <laughs> so I don't know anything about the actual character. I was going to make a joke when you were saying how strong the, the Wolverines are. I was oh, going to yeah? say, would you say they're like a Hugh Jackman level of... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, aside from being super good at crunching, they're also really, really well adapted to living where they live, which mm -hmm. is in the cold. So they have those really short extremities, like I mentioned. So their legs are short, but also their ears are really short and like close to their head. Mm -hmm. um, so this is good for them because this exposes less surface area for heat to escape out of. Sure. So it keeps a lot of that heat trapped inside their body, which is really what you want when you're living in the cold. They also have kind of like a double coat. So they have like a thick undercoat and then a longer sort of like top coat. So that layered fur that keeps yeah. you trapped. It's really yeah. good. Their feet are also flat on the ground. So this is a like a type of positioning of your feet that's called plantigrade. Well, they're actually like semi-plantigrade, but being plantigrade means that your entire foot, so your toes and your heel and all mm. of that is directly on the ground. So this is like a human's foot. Sure. The whole thing is on the ground. As opposed to being up on your toes, this arrangement of being up on your toes with kind of the heel of your foot being elevated, that's called digitigrade. Mm -hmm. And dogs and cats are like this. Right. So if you look at your dog's foot, the toes are on the ground, but the heel is kind of elevated up a little bit. Yeah. The um, the dogs and the cats have digitigrade feet, but the wolverine is semi-plantigrade, but mostly their feet are totally flat on the ground. Okay. So this allows them to kind of act as snowshoes. So with more of the surface of the foot down on the ground, it spreads their weight more evenly across the foot and keeps them from sinking into the snow as much. Makes sense. Yeah. So it kind of lets them move around in the snow a lot better. So they themselves might not be super fast, but say, for example, like they're chasing an ungulate. So they're chasing a deer that's running through snow. Mm -hmm. Their prey on those little tiny hooves is more likely to be sinking down into the snow with its steps. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to get slowed down and immobilized by the snow. And it's not going to be able to run very fast where the Wolverine, while maybe it's not running as fast on dry ground, it's still able to keep up with the deer because it's not sinking into the snow like the deer is. Okay. Yeah. So that lets them kind of, it's an interesting way of like outspeeding <laughs> your prey 
like in an unconventional way. I thought that was pretty cool. Those big flat paws are also heavily armed with long, really sharp hooked claws. And those claws are great for slashing things, but they're also good for gripping and digging. So a lot of what they're doing is digging in the snow and claws are great for that. Mm -hmm. So they're really good at climbing trees. They don't do it a lot, but they're good at it if they have to be. And then what really surprised me is that they're super good swimmers. Really? They're like really fast. (laughs) I didn't expect them to be, but I found this video on YouTube of a Wolverine that's chasing this deer And this deer is on the other side of like this bank of a like a some sort of stream that it's next to. And you might expect the wolverine to just run along the side of the stream to get around to where the deer is. But the wolverine just like beelines directly through the water Mm. towards the deer rather than running around on dry land. And the thing is, this thing is booking it. (laughs) It's going like way faster than I thought it would. It's really impressive. So I did not think they would be that good at swimming, but they're super good at swimming. Neat. Yeah, very cool. And so that's my 10 out of 10. (laughs) They're good good at everything. They're good at stuff they don't even have to be good at. (laughs) (laughs) 10 Hugh Jackmans out of 10. (laughs) Exactly. So I thought that warranted a full perfect score. This brings me to ingenuity for the Wolverine, which if this is your first time joining us, this is behavioral adaptations that let an animal like solve problems it's facing or just figure stuff out. This is like clever things that it does. I give it an eight out of 10. Okay. Pretty clever, actually. Um, So first of all, they have a huge attitude. They are complete divas. <laughs> okay, this makes sense a little bit. Yeah, this is they have a reputation for this. Um, so not only will they defend themselves from threats with this like ferocity and aggression, they're not going to back down, right? Like if another predator, like a like a wolf or a bear, is stepping to the wolverine, they're not going to like flee and run away or anything like that. They will square up they're ready to go so like they're like you know bristling up and they're jumping and lunging and showing their teeth and stuff they're like you want to fight let's do it um they're not intimidated uh so they will step to much larger predators than themselves they don't Mm -hmm. seem to understand (laughs) that they are 60 pounds (laughs) they still want to fight that bear and they'll fight over food too so actually wolverines have been documented chasing these other larger predators off of their own kills Oh. So like wolves will kill something and they'll be like, you know, feeding on it. And here comes a wolverine that's like, hey, (laughs) I want that. (laughs) And the wolverine will chase the wolves away and get the kill. It's crazy. (laughs) Because they're not that big. Going for that steal. I know. They're not playing around. So they claim the meal is their own. And I, I feel like that's like working smarter, not harder, right? Like you just wait for somebody else to make the kill. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Like, you let somebody else do all the hard work for you, and then you swoop in. I mean, it's kind of what separates them from typical scavengers. And, you know, when I say that they're scavengers, it's not to say that they're, like, lazy and don't make their own kills, because they will make their own kills. Yeah. They're skilled hunters. They can use those built-in snowshoes to chase down prey that's much bigger than them. But why expend the energy when you don't have to? Right. Like, if there's one already there that's already been killed by some wolves, then maybe you can just scare off the wolves and you got your meal already done. Yep. So they can even take down reindeer. Wow. Yeah. Kind of like the only thing it can't take down is like a moose. Now, are these guys usually solo or? Solo. Okay. Yeah. They don't play nice with each other. Okay. They're not buddy-buddy. That's probably for the best of the rest of the planet. (laughs) 
<laughs> Man, can you imagine if they packed up? That'd be crazy. That'd be way too much. But so sometimes they'll even actually kill more prey than they know what to do with. Okay, so back to the glutton thing. Yeah. <laughs> so they will kill prey and then be like, oh, I don't know. All right. That was fun, I guess. What they'll usually do is if they have excess food that they're not trying to eat at this exact moment, they'll stash it for later. Mm -hmm. So they are little like hoarders where they will bury their excess prey that they've killed or that somebody else has killed and that they have stolen. They'll (laughs) bury it in either snow or if they're in like this taiga area, they'll bury it in like a like a boggy area or something like that. Then they'll mark it with their scent to keep other wolverines away from it. And just leave it there for later. This is thought to provide the wolverines not just with being protected from somebody, some other predator coming along and stealing their prey, but also the cold temperatures of where they live keeps the meat frozen. Yeah. So it's it's going to stay good. You can come back and eat it months later. So they'll just leave it there and let it just kind of sit in a deep freezer, essentially. Now, will they do the squirrel thing and forget about it? Except <laughs> instead of a tree, you get just this horrible scene when the stuff defrosts. And just... <laughs> it's, I don't think it's exactly like squirrels, because with squirrels, like once they bury an acorn, they just have to rely on remembering where they put it. Okay. The wolverine doesn't have to remember because it can smell it. Okay. So if it smells like, oh, yeah, I left this here. They're better at finding their buried stash i bet that's still an occurrence though if you Probably. live in an area where there are wolverines and in the spring things thaw out so oh gross like half a deer <laughs> sitting there gross. <laughs> that's so nasty so they they revisit it much later and they both store and access their storage throughout the year okay this is not something that they'll just like they'll store a bunch of food and then use it to like eat over winter or something like that they do this all year long okay but it does let them stay fed during like leaner times like during times where there's less prey to be found Mm -hmm. they can revisit their stashes and come back later and stay fed okay yeah i thought that was really clever of them to do that Oh, and there was a really cool, uh, where I got a lot of that information was from this cool paper called Refrigeration or Anti-Theft, Food Caching Behavior of Wolverines, Glo in Scandinavia. And that study was by Bert Vanderveen, Jenny Madison, Barbara Zimmerman, John Auden, and Jens Person. Mm. So it was a really cool study. I really like that. Um, so another uh, really clever thing that they'll do is that when there's an avalanche, they will come in after the avalanche and sweep behind the avalanche. Like, they'll go down the mountain, like, behind the avalanche and sniff around for animals that may have been caught in the avalanche and killed by the snow. Oh. Like, an avalanche comes down the mountain, say it hits, like, a herd of deer. Sure. And the the deer die, and they're buried under the snow. Here comes Wolverine. (laughs) He comes down the mountain, he's like... Because mm. <laughs> not only is it dead and he didn't have to do anything to kill it, but also it's been kept nice and chilly and fresh by all this snow. Yeah. So they can smell a meal through up to 20 feet or six meters of snow. That's a lot. And then they can use those little claws to dig it right out. There you go. That's a free meal you didn't have to work for. <laughs> didn't have to do anything. It's very smart of them, I think. So... <laughs> I, I tell you that to tell you this, the wolverine's natural ability and their instinct to sniff out animals that are buried under thick beds of snow led to a proposal. 
This was a proposal by this guy named Mike Miller. Mm -hmm. And he was the founder of the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center. And his idea was to begin training wolverines to sniff out and rescue humans that were caught in avalanches. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea was really controversial because people are scared of wolverines. Um, Wolverines have this reputation for being really aggressive and ready to throw down at a moment's notice. Like, like, oh man, I survived this avalanche and buried in snow. How could this day get any worse? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) My leg. (laughs) And then here's a Wolverine. uh, (laughs) Just icing on the cake. So his defense of this idea was that the Wolverines they were going to use for this program would be raised in captivity. So they were born in captivity, imprinted on humans, and then trained throughout their lifetime to just to detect the location of the buried human. Like they would just sniff it out kind of like a, like a dog would like just sniff out the location and then indicate like, this is where it is. Uh And then they wouldn't be doing the digging. But so the last (laughs) information I can find about this was in 2016 when, when they were like proposing that they start doing this. And then in 2018, Mike Miller was replaced as the executive director by Diana Whitney. And that idea was never heard of again. Are you sure he wasn't replaced by a Wolverine? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't spoken to her, so I don't know. (laughs) Who, after being introduced to the taste of humans... (laughs) I think that what happened is they just decided to stick with dogs. (laughs) Which is what they already use, right? Like, why bother using Wolverines? (laughs) I was just, I was reading this whole thing. I was saying to myself, I was like, you've already got, you don't need to reinvent the wheel here, my dude. You got the dogs already. (laughs) I mean, be a cool story, I guess. It would be. Obviously, like, it showed up in my search results. So apparently, you know, it was interesting enough to get a bunch of news articles about it. (laughs) Captain, there was an avalanche over there. Release the Wolverines. Just set them loose. (laughs) So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And this brings me to our final category for the Wolverines. This is aesthetics. Pretty easy. I gave them a 9 out of 10. I think they're beautiful. Oh. They have this really, like, long brown fur that's really, really pretty. And it's, it's like a dark brown mostly, but then they have these sort of golden colored markings that go, like, around their face and around their back. And, um... I don't really know how to describe it. It's like one stripe that goes around both sides of their body. Oh, okay. That that aesthetic was put into the X-Men character, too. It was? It was a bit. Like, he has two like gray strips of hair on both sides of his head. Mm, okay. Like, one on each side, I should say. Yeah, this yeah. is kind of what that is. Except instead of gray, it's like, it's like a light brown. Okay. Yeah. I think Wolverines, the animal, look better than Hugh Jackman. Mm-mm. You don't think so? <laughs> I haven't seen a picture of Wolverine in quite some time, but I can still disagree. Hold on one second. <laughs> I'm going to pull up a picture, and you tell me if you think it's cuter than Hugh Jackman. I'll tell you right now, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a picture of Hugh Jackman. <laughs> All right, look at that. Nope. No? Nope. Oh, my gosh. Fine. I changed my score. 10 out of 10. Oh, it's no. way cuter than Hugh Jackman Christian. I'm starting to feel jealous. <laughs> I'm going to tell on you to my Australian crush. <laughs> anyway. Finally, 
wrapping up with the conservation information for wolverines. They're, in general, the IUCN uh, has given them the status of near-threatened. Their populations are decreasing. Their biggest threats are human activity in their habitats. By far, human activity is their biggest problem. Sure. So their territory is fragmented by development and industry. And so I mentioned earlier that they need big undisturbed areas of land it's because they have huge home territories like their home territory will be like miles and miles and miles across and then they need all of that space to store their food and come back to it later so say like you know they store food in a place and then they move along humans come in and develop an area and clear out that space now when they try to come back maybe they're like hungry and they haven't made a kill in a while and it's a bad season they need to come back for that food that food's gone Uh. so that's why they kind of need that like undisturbed area to do well it's because they rely a lot on stashing food for later Hmm. that if it's bothered then they're going to starve not only the fragmentation of their habitat but they're also actively killed by humans for a variety of reasons, whether it is for the purpose of protecting their own livestock, because say you have a herd of reindeer, Wolverine comes through and kills all your reindeer. You know, you're going to be like, well, I don't want you to kill my reindeer. So what if I kill you first? Sure. So like retaliatory or just like being protective of their livestock, they'll kill Wolverines or just for taking the Wolverines fur. Um, Wolverines have incredibly soft fur. It is very, very good for insulating heat. So it is very commonly used as the linings uh, or like the trim of jackets. You won't see like a whole coat made of Wolverine fur just because they're kind of little and you're not going to get a whole coat's worth of fur out of Wolverine. Yeah, you won't survive that many encounters. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know what the Wolverine doesn't have? A gun. So you'll see people use wolverine fur as the trim of jackets and stuff like that. Um, So they are killed for their fur. Also, climate change threatens wolverines really bad as these rising temperatures means that the food that they stash won't stay frozen. So, you know, they stash some food, leave it, come back later. It's rotten. It's decomposed. It's gone. So, to see it. I know. So actually that like those rising temperatures are pushing them farther north. Um, oh. So like they pretty much don't exist in a lot of the areas where they used to exist. Like a lot of like states that even like states that I think it's Michigan or something. That's like the Wolverine state. And they don't even live there anymore. Like right. they've, they've been pushed farther north. So global warming is doing very bad things for wolverines. So if you feel, if all of this makes you feel like, what can I do to help wolverines? There are a lot of conservation efforts that are in place to kind of help them. I got a lot of information from the Wolverine Foundation. Um, So if you want to go check them out, also just kind of poke around and see who else is out there on the ground helping wolverines. And that's all I got to say about that. Go wolverines. They're pretty good. This is a pretty great animal. (laughs) They're really cool. Well, thank you, honey. You're welcome. We are able to continue making this podcast because of support from our friends on Patreon. This week, I want to thank our patrons, Jacob Jones, April Kamek, Brianna Feinberg, Jacob Schick, Vikram Belika, Brandon Everfolly, Dalton Weeks, Christina Sanders, Sarah Peterson, and the Jungle Gym Queen. Thanks, y'all. All right, darling. That was my animal. Tell me what you got this week. This week... I bring a funky little amphibian. Oh, boy. Called the Suriname Toad. Scientific name, P. 
Peepa Peepa. So I had Gula Gulo, and you have Peepa Peepa. <laughs> yes. Both of our animals this week. So nice you say them twice. <laughs> Good ones. <laughs> this species comes to us via email from Jacob Schick. Thank you. Good choice. And I will be getting my information from Animal Diversity Web, found at animaldiversity.org, as well as the website for San Diego Zoo Animals and Plants, animals.sandiegozoo.org. So let's talk about this little toad, shall we? We don't talk about enough frogs and toads, I think. Yeah, I think we've done amphibians in the sense of the axolotl. You talked about a poison frog. That's true. That's true. We did. Oh, I talked about the desert rain frog. You remember that? So maybe we have done this a couple of times. <laughs> but anyway, these these little guys, uh, they are brown and flat and have a pointy nose. Oh, boy. I'll talk about why that is. Okay. So let's talk about how big they are, though. So they weigh 100 to 160 grams, or three and a half to 5.6 ounces. And lengthwise, they range from 105 millimeters to 171 millimeters, or about four to seven inches long. That's a big frog. Sure, sure. That's very big, right? Yeah, it can be. I'm looking at. I'm. I'm like. I use my like the segments of my fingers as sure. ideas for like inches. That's bigger than like any of the frogs or toads we have. I mean, that's like, like a big bullfrog. Our... That's true. We have bullfrogs. I forgot yeah. about that. But that's like. Bigger than I feel like a lot of frogs that you're going to see around here. They're big. And I also, I don't know what kind of measurement that is. Like if that's its body or if that's like with, it, with its legs fully extended, you know, oh, I'm not sure. Um, where they're found, as you might be able to tell from its name, is the eastern region of South America and Trinidad. So Suriname is a country in South America, as like in the northeast South America. And Trinidad, Trinidad's like an island right off of there. off the coast of that area of South America. Okay. Yep. And they live in murky ponds and swamps. So this is an aquatic animal. So they belong to the taxonomic family Pipidae. Or the tongueless frogs. Tongueless? Yes. No tongue. No tongue. At all. None. Okay. That sucks. <laughs> uh, a notable evolutionary relative is the African clawed frog. So this one is actually considered a an aquatic frog. Uh, the moniker toad comes from the way the skin looks. Oh. Yeah. So it's actually a frog. Is that true of a lot of toads? Is there like a big difference between frogs and toads? So I, I, I don't remember if we talked about this before, like the <laughs> difference between frogs and toads. But basically all toads are frogs, but not all frogs are toads. Okay. And this even, is like a nesting situation. And even then it's an informal difference because, you know, we it's mostly based on observations. Like, okay, toads usually not so aquatic. Their skin looks like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But even then, even if you have a solid definition of frog versus toad there's so many exceptions to the rule it's arbitrary <laughs> yeah <laughs> meaningless yep english means nothing <laughs> it is an arbitrary collection of sounds <laughs> so jumping right into our first category of effectiveness i'm giving this little guy an eight out of ten for effectiveness that's pretty good so first and i'm gonna get this out of the way now <laughs> please do is how they reproduce so i'll just start from the beginning of how this works so males attract females using a clicking sound. Can I hear it? I mean, it, the word click is about as close <laughs> as I'm going to get. You're not going to do the sound? <laughs> How come you always have animals that make cool sounds and then you don't do a them? A click is a cool sound now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, so they don't do rivets or uh, other frog-like onopoetic words. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they'll attract mates. They'll get together. And female, the female will lay 60 to 100 eggs in the water. 
Now, this isn't all at once. They'll do this whole process a couple of times until all the eggs have met the end. So yeah, the female will lay the eggs in the water, and then the male fertilizes those eggs and places them on the female's back. Oh, he's yes. not just going to leave them there. No. Which Most frogs of, will just be like, okay. Yeah, the eggs will be like in the water, just doing their thing. But no, the male places them on the back of the female, and then they stick to the female's back. Hate it. Now, I this, already hate it. This is weird. So like... They don't stick to the male. They don't stick to each other. They will only stick to the female's back. Oh, that is a very specific adhesive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it like something on her back that makes it's it thought, stick? It's thought that maybe uh, it's something that she secretes from her cloaca. Gross. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, they'll stick to the back and then the skin on the female's back will grow over the eggs. Oh, no. <laughs> Pretty much totally encasing them. I wish it wouldn't do that. <laughs> so then this is where the eggs start to develop. And, you know, a typical life cycle for many amphibians, like frogs and toads, are egg, tadpole, some sort of weird in-between, and then frog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, these guys spend that whole cycle inside their mom's back. Oh, gross. Yes. It's like she's like back pregnant. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so what ends up happening is fully developed frogs will then exit the mom's back through these holes. And it's really, it's the worst thing you've ever seen, you guys. Do not Google it. It's so bad. <laughs> it can be a little disturbing. It's so bad. <laughs> so yeah, so these little tiny fully developed frogs will start exiting the mom's back of their own accord, or the mom can also apply pressure to just eject them. <laughs> <laughs> she said we're done here <laughs> you're evicted <laughs> so yeah these fully formed frogs will exit pretty much ready to go they can right off the bat start eating things uh maybe sometimes each other sure <laughs> listen that's their values yeah. so then the mom sheds that skin that developed to encase those eggs and then rinse and repeat oh my god <laughs> i can't okay as disturbing as that is that's a pretty good idea, actually. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, with how tadpoles and baby frogs are so prone to just being gobbled right up by literally anything. Yeah. You know, like, it's kind of a good idea for her to, like, protect them until they're developed enough to kind of get around on their own. On the other side of that coin, though, it is literally putting all of your eggs in one basket. <laughs> <laughs> that's true because if something gets her you know Done. like if, if something eats her that's all of your babies and that thing whatever eats her might get a strange surprise depending <laughs> on how far along things are <laughs> oh my god have you ever stepped on a spider <laughs> have you ever like don't squish spiders by the way but have you ever like either stepped on or squished a wolf spider that had like a billion babies on her back and the babies explode everywhere yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's that but in your mouth yep. <laughs> terrible so yeah that's the reproduction thing this is the worst animal <laughs> went ahead and got that out of the way thank you <laughs> the next thing i want to give them for effectiveness is their camouflage so the color and the shape of their body make it look like they're a leaf on the muddy bottom of the body of water that they inhabit so they're like a brownish olive color and also their head is leaf shaped they're okay. also flat. They're very flat. It's peculiar to see mm. them from that angle. Sure. Yeah. Is the pointiness of the nose just to make it look like a leaf? 
As far as I know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense because leaves do have that kind of tapered pointy end. Right, right. And then finally for effectiveness is their large mouth. So as I mentioned earlier, they don't have a tongue, but they also don't have teeth. So their method is just swallowing things whole. Go for it, man. Yeah. I'm thinking of like a lot of frogs who do that. Kind of, well, what's funny is like in cartoons and stuff, you always see frogs, uh, you know, shooting their tongue out to sure. catch flies and stuff. I don't see them do that very often, well, though. Especially in real not life. this one. Well, yeah, this one physically <laughs> cannot do that. But even like the little frogs that we have out here, never seen one shoot their tongue out. Uh, I've seen it. It's just it's not super far away. It's, it's pretty much a right in front of them type thing. Ugh, cartoons just have led us all astray. <laughs> So yeah, that wraps up effectiveness. Next category of ingenuity, I'm just going to give them a 6 out of 10. And that's primarily because they're an ambush hunter. Ooh. Yeah. So this goes along with their camouflage. So they are an aquatic omnivore. They eat worms, insects, crustaceans, and small fishes. And they sense movement with these little star-tipped fingers that they have. Star-tipped? What do you mean by star-tipped? They have these, the the tips of their fingers look like little stars. they have shurikens. Basically. <laughs> so this is this is actually where they get their other common name, which is the star-fingered toad. Okay. That's a little more descriptive than just <laughs> where they're from. <laughs> <laughs> One place that they're from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that they have ninja throwing stars like <laughs> built into their hands. But the idea is they're they're meant for feeling things. So they'll sit very still at the bottom of the the body of water like a pond or something and they'll use those tips to feel movement and then when they do feel the movement that's when they'll do the the lunge and like swallow that's pretty cool yeah you should tell that to naruto tell him that's what those <laughs> things are really for well he does have frogs is the thing naruto has frogs yeah don't worry folks i'm getting her to watch naruto i know i'm on like episode three <laughs> <laughs> so that's about it for ingenuity I just figured, oh, that's about average for a, a hunting animal. Yeah, sure. Aesthetics. Oh. <laughs> I'm giving it what might be a surprising 5 out of 10. That is generous. <laughs> <laughs> that is very kind of you. So what I find the flat leaf appearance kind of interesting. And also the star fingers are pretty on point. But finally, the egg holes. <laughs> so... I can't talk about this animal without talking about trypophobia. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. <laughs> so trypophobia is the fear of holes, uh, usually a pattern of holes that are close together. Small, like it's yeah. like a when you have like a cluster of yep. small holes all together. Yep. yep. It's the worst thing ever. So this animal is a prime example of that. It's just naturally occurring <laughs> nightmare fuel. It's so bad. But for me, for me, it's more specific. It's not just small holes. It's things that come out of small holes. Right? Yeah, because because I feel like that's what drives the phobia, right? Yeah. Is that like you see this cluster of small holes, mm-hmm. and your immediate like gut instinct is like, what is in that? <laughs> Which I think uh, we might have touched on this when we talked about the. Uh, uh, botfly, the botfly, mm-hmm. <laughs> like things emerging yeah. from places they're not supposed to be emerging yeah. from. But when you like when that, I think we might have talk, talked about with pictures of animals that have a ton of botfly larvae. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So another example of this is the seed pod of the lotus plant. Mm. It looks a lot like that too. It's really terrible. Um, so just a note though, trypophobia <laughs> is not officially recognized as a phobia. 
by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, also known as the DSM-5 per WebMD. I mean, yeah, it's it's like a just like a heebie-jeebies, you know? It's like a creepy, grossed-out feeling you well, get by like this phenomenon. Well, one of the requirements to be recognized as a phobia, I suppose, is it takes away from everyday life basically oh sure sure sure. so you're not likely to come across a trigger of this often enough for it to affect you on a day-to-day basis i would imagine that experiencing this phobia is probably like (laughs) not having this phobia is like a requirement to study this frog (laughs) (laughs) maybe (laughs) that's about it for aesthetics and my only piece of miscellaneous info is that they have the conservation status of least concern okay yeah. I mean, the, their main threat is just, you know, human development. and But as long as they have wet places in South America, they're fine. Oh, no. Where are you going to find a wet place in South America? <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> See South America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so worried because the fact that they thrive in these wet areas is making me terrified that they would be a, a prime candidate for being an invasive species in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Now, just to note, this is not the only, in quote, Suriname toad. There are six other species in that genus that are very similar. Interesting. Yep. I'm going to preemptively say that I'm unsettled by all of them. (laughs) And also, as you may have surmised from my sources, you can see these at the San Diego Zoo. Why would you want to? (laughs) I would. You would? There. Well, I mean, yeah, I would go to the San Diego Zoo anyway, but (laughs) maybe I'd send you on a solo mission and to go check out the Suriname Toad, and you can come back and report back to me about how it was. (laughs) Dear wife, three hours in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Rations are running low. (laughs) I've seen many animals. (laughs) (laughs) This frog was bad. It's also very hot and dry. (laughs) Good toad, babe. Thanks. Good job. That is everything I believe that we have for this week. As we're getting wrapped up, I wanted to share with you a review that we got on iTunes. Oh, boy. We haven't been doing this. like We haven't regularly been like reading reviews on the show or whatever, um, but I kind of want to start because they're really nice, Yay. and I really like them, and people go out of their way to review us, and I think that's very nice, so I want to re- reward that. Hooray. <laughs> this was from... I'm sorry, this person did not leave a name. This was on iTunes, and their username on iTunes was KW80304, and they said, such fun to listen. That was like the subject line or the title. I don't know how these things work. And the body of the review, I guess, (laughs) said, we love listening with our almost six-year-old and are all learning new things with every episode. It's exceptionally fun because the hosts inspire us to do our own family research. Thanks so much. Oh, nice. I thought that was really nice. I'm always really excited to not only like hear good feedback, that makes my day, and that um, quenches my insatiable thirst for validation, (laughs) but, you know, especially to hear from families that are listening with kids, that makes me really excited. Awesome. I'm excited to hear about the little budding zoologists out there that are like getting geared up to be the next Steve Irwin, Jane Goodall, whatever. Excellent. I know you're out there. (laughs) And that wraps things up for us this week. Um, You can come hang out with us 
virtually on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. And like I mentioned earlier, we do social media polls where you can help us decide what animal one of us talks about in the next episode. If you have a particular animal that you want to hear us talk about, you can get those to us either on social media, like I said, or you can email them to me. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. And lastly, I would like to thank Louis Zong for letting us use his song Adventuring off of his album B-Sides. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's very good. Yes. I feel like the vibe that you set with that Suriname toad does not suit the vibe of the song we're about to go into. <laughs> it's a palate cleanser, though. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> I know. This is, to, this is to right your mood, to get you ready to go back into the day. Excellent. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Bye. Bye.